Section 7 of The Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government, Volume 1B. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley. The Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government by Jefferson Davis. Volume One B, Part Three, Chapter Eight. The Peace Conference, Demand for a Little Bloodletting, Plan Proposed by the Conference, Its Contemptuous Reception and Treatment in the United States Congress, Failure of Last Efforts at Reconciliation and Reunion. Note. Speech of General Lane of Oregon. While the events which have just been occupying our attention were occurring, the last conspicuous effort was made within the Union to stay the tide of usurpation which was driving the southern states into secession. This effort was set on foot by Virginia the general assembly of which state on the nineteenth of january eighteen sixty one adopted a preamble and resolutions deprecating disunion and inviting all such states as were willing to unite in an earnest endeavor to avert it by an adjustment of the then existing controversies to appoint commissioners to meet in washington on the fourth of february Quote, to consider and if practicable agree on some suitable adjustment ex-president john tyler and messrs william c revis john w brockenbrew george w summers and james a seddon five of the most distinguished citizens of the state were appointed to represent virginia in the proposed conference if they could agree with the commissioners of other states upon any plan of settlement requiring amendments to the federal constitution they were instructed to communicate them to congress with a view to their submission to the several states for ratification the border states in general promptly acceded to this proposition of virginia and others followed so that in the peace congress or conference which assembled according to appointment on the fourth and adjourned on the twenty seventh of february twenty one states were eventually represented of which fourteen were northern or non-slaveholding and seven slaveholding states the six states which had already seceded were of course not of the number represented nor were texas and arkansas the secession of which although not consummated was obviously inevitable three of the northwestern states michigan wisconsin and minnesota and the two pacific states oregon and california also held aloof from the conference in the case of these last two distance and lack of time perhaps hindered action 
with regard to the other three their reasons for declining to participate in the movement were not officially assigned and are therefore only subjects for conjecture some remarkable revelations were afterward made however with regard to the action of one of them it appears from correspondence read in the senate on the twenty seventh of february that the two senators from michigan had at first opposed the participation of that state in the conference on the ground that it was as one of them expressed it quote, a step toward obtaining that concession which the imperious slave power so insolently demands that is to say in plain terms they objected to it because it might lead to a compromise and pacification finding however that most of the other northern states were represented some of them by men of moderate and conciliatory temper that writer had subsequently changed his mind and at a late period of the session of the conference recommended the sending of delegations of true unflinching men who would be in favor of the constitution as it is that is who would oppose any amendment proposed in the interest of harmony and pacification the other senator exhibits a similar alarm at the prospect of compromise and a concurrent change of opinion he urges the sending of stiff-backed men to thwart the threatened success of the friends of peace and concludes with an expression of the humane and patriotic sentiment that quote, without a little bloodletting the union would not be quote, worth a rush end quote. with such unworthy levity did these leaders of sectional strife express their exultation in the prospect of the conflict which was to drench the land with blood and enshroud thousands of homes in mourning footnote one thirty one see congressional globe at supra as this letter last referred to is brief and characteristic of the temper of the typical so-called republicans of the period it may be inserted entire Quote, washington february eleventh eighteen sixty one my dear governor governor bingham and myself telegraphed you on saturday at the request of massachusetts and new york to send delegates to the peace or compromise congress they admit that we were right and that they were wrong that no republican state should have sent delegates but they are here and cannot get away ohio indiana and rhode island are caving in and there is danger of illinois and now they beg us for god's sake to come to their rescue and save the republican party from rupture i hope you will send stiff-backed men or none the whole thing was gotten up against my judgment and advice and will end in thin smoke still i hope as a matter of courtesy to some of our erring brethren that you will send the delegates truly your friend signed z chandler his Excellency Austin Blair. P.S. Some of the manufacturing states think that a fight would be awful. 
without a little bloodletting this union will not in my estimation be worth a rush End quote. the reader should not fall into the mistake of imagining that the erring brethren toward whom a concession of courtesy is recommended by the writer of this letter were the people of the seceding or even of the border states it is evident from the context that he means the people of those so-called republican states which had fallen into the error of taking part in a plan for peace which might have averted the bloodletting recommended End of footnote. it is needless to follow the course of the deliberations of the peace conference it included among its members many men of distinction and eminent ability and some of unquestionable patriotism from every part of the union the venerable john tyler presided and took an active and ardent interest in the efforts made to effect a settlement and avert the impending disasters a plan was finally agreed upon by a majority of the states represented for certain amendments to the federal constitution which it was hoped might be acceptable to all parties and put an end to further contention in its leading features this plan resembled that of mr crittenden heretofore spoken of which was still pending in the senate though with some variations which were regarded as less favorable to the south it was reported immediately to both houses of the united states congress in the senate mr crittenden promptly expressed his willingness to accept it as a substitute for his own proposition and eloquently urged its adoption but the arrogance of a sectional majority inflated by recent triumph was too powerful to be allayed by the appeals of patriotism or the counsels of wisdom the plan of the peace conference was treated by the majority with the contemptuous indifference shown to every other movement for conciliation its mere consideration was objected to by the extreme radicals and although they failed in this it was defeated on a vote as were the crittenden propositions with the failure of these efforts which occurred on the eve of the inauguration of mr lincoln and the accession to power of a party founded on a basis of sectional aggression and now thoroughly committed to its prosecution and perpetuation expired the last hopes of reconciliation and union Note in the course of the debate in the senate on these grave propositions a manly and eloquent speech was made on the second of march eighteen sixty one by the hon joseph lane a senator from oregon who had been the candidate of the democratic state rights party for the vice presidency of the united states in the canvass of eighteen sixty some passages of this speech seem peculiarly appropriate for insertion here general lane was replying to a speech of mr andrew johnson of tennessee afterward president of the united states Quote, mr president the senator from tennessee complains of my remarks on his speech he complains of the tone and temper of what i said 
he complains that i replied at all as i was a northern senator mr president i am a citizen of this union and a senator of the united states my residence is in the north but i have never seen the day and i never shall when i will refuse justice as readily to the south as to the north i know nothing but my country the whole country the constitution and the equality of the states the equal right of every man in the common territory of the whole country and by that i shall stand the senator complains that i replied at all as i was a northern senator and a democrat whom he had supported at the last election for a high office now i was as i stated at the time surprised at the senator's speech because i understood it to be for coercion as i think it was understood by almost everybody else except as we are now told by the senator himself and i still think it amounted to a coercion speech notwithstanding the soft and plausible phrases by which he describes it a speech for the execution of the laws and the protection of the federal property sir if there is as i contend the right of secession then whenever a state exercises that right this government has no laws in that state to execute nor has it any property in any such state that can be protected by the power of this government in attempting however to substitute the smooth phrases executing the laws and protecting public property for coercion for civil war we have an important concession that is that this government dare not go before the people with a plain avowal of its real purposes and of their consequences no sir the policy is to inveigle the people of the north into civil war by masking the design in smooth and ambiguous terms End quote. congressional globe second session thirty-sixth congress page thirteen forty seven End of chapter 8 Recording by Bill Mosley, Llano County, Texas, USA